OG. That is me, Max Bretos. This is episode 158. As always, as I welcome you in, I'd like to remind you all to rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend, spread the word of the Soccer OG. We're also available on YouTube. Many of you tuning in on that end under my name, Max Bretos. Video's getting great numbers, so keep it going, but make sure you tune in. I try to separate the two as much as possible. Church and state, if you will. If you will. Trying to stagger these shows a little bit so that we can get up close to important competitions. This week, it's the Gold Cup. The quarterfinals are happening this weekend. And with that in mind, we will welcome in Luke Wildman, who wears many hats, works for TSN up in Canada. So he covers the Canadian national team, Canadian soccer in general, both men's and women's. And the clubs also works for Turner and HBO, where he covers the U.S. men and U.S. women's national team. So we'll talk about the game on Sunday between the United States and Canada. Does Canada have a chance here and uh, upstage this tournament, which has been dominated by the Americans thus far? But we're reaching the business end. And Luke will be joining me in the business end. That lies ahead here uh, very shortly. In stoppage time, we'll look at the summer market and kind of Keep an eye on the American stories, both via MLS and American players perhaps going over to Europe. But what can we make of what we have seen this marketplace thus far, which still has a long way to go. A lot of big moves that we have confirmed pretty much, but haven't been 100 percent. The ink has not dried. So we'll take a look at what that's happening. That is later on stoppage time. In the words of Jerry Reed, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Let's go. I was actually in Colombia, uh, as you heard on the last podcast. I had a wonderful time. Ate like a campeón. I would go back to Bogota for four days and just eat. That is the trip. Wake up, have a nice coffee and breakfast. Coffee there is off the charts. Chill, walk around, lunch, and then have a cracking big-time dinner. And I, I, I swear the breakfasts were like $10. I went to Andres de C in Bogota, and I had, it was three of us, bottle of wine, couple digestifs, sweet drinks for the kid, um, three, 14 to 18, 18 out steaks, big fellas, a few sides, it was 120 bucks, and they had a live band, it was like a Vegas hot club in Vegas, I had to wait in a line to get in, it was 120 bucks, I didn't want to leave, I highly recommend, so Bogota and Cartagena, I went, Medellin's next on the list. I told my wife that might be a boy's trip. <laughs> I would behave just, you know, to walk around with the guys and enjoy the architecture and um, maybe a little aguardiente, what have you. Uh, but I was in Orlando. Got to see Orlando City. At Explorer Stadium's nice, man. I mean, they're having a problem connecting with the fans there. They'll get back at it, but they have a really good team there. Toronto FC, and look, stick around. We have a great interview in the business end with Luke Wildman of TSN, as well as um, Turner and HBO covering the U.S. men's national team. But Toronto FC, or that's one of the worst teams I've seen in MLS in recent memory. I mean, it's just bad. Hard to see. And that's the biggest payroll. Grand Lorenzo Insigne was hurt for that game. They're missing a ton of guys. But, I mean, and that's why it was so poor. I mean, it was a, it was, it was worse than a, their TFC two team. It was a mess. We need Toronto to do well. We need Canada to be engaged. And there's some issues, and we'll get to that talking with Luke. We'll also talk the Gold Cup, 
And we were joking at the end of the interview. It was like, how about us? I mean, we, we can be critical of the Gold Cup, but right now in Europe, they're talking about the transfers, and we'll talk about that a little bit in the stoppage time. Talking about transfers and yada, 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 but I'm like, we get games. This Gold Cup, while it's no masterpiece, it's had some nice moments. Did you watch? I mean, we were all talking about, I, I talked on the show, how is, we need Mexico to advance because you need to fill these stadiums. And you know, Guatemala, have these incredible, we were hoping El Salvador would have that effect, but they are gone. But Guatemala are packing it in. They beat Guadalupe to win the group. So, I mean, they take, they have Jamaica, right? Yes. So I they'll probably lose to Jamaica, but they win the group and they pack the house there at Red Bull Arena. That was the, the that's the, outside of what Jesus Ferreira has done, uh, Guatemala's final game there was the most exciting development. Mexico lost to Qatar, which was a beautifully CONCACAF game. I mean, if I didn't know better, I would think Qatar was in CONCACAF, the way that game went on. So uh, Mexico plays Costa Rica. That should be a tight one. And then we want, we want Mexico-USA at SoFi Stadium on that final Sunday. Not this Sunday, but Sunday. USA has to get by Canada. Uh, they should. This U.S. team is getting better and better, and even, no one's touching them. I mean, granted, it was a very easy group. Uh, well, look, they actually they were losing to Jamaica, but they are much better now, and I don't know if Jamaica has the horses because no one's as deep as the U.S., so it should end well. We, uh, we have a... Uh, it'll be over in a couple weeks. I mean, look, and we talked about the Gold Cup and where it stands, and it's not connected to everything FIFA... By the way, the League's Cup is coming up too, June 21st. You're getting some details about this. It's going to be really interesting. We have inbound tours coming in. You know, Arsenal's going to be at the MLS All-Star Game. Barcelona's going to be here. A lot of clubs are coming through. That always is a big success. That's why they do it every year. Uh, but it's... Uh, it's uh, what was I talking about? The, uh, the League's Cup is... You know, everything's going to stop. Liga MX started this weekend, so they'll have a couple rounds under their belt and they'll stop for the League's Cup, which will give them an advantage. But really, um, MLS is got a huge advantage because even if, like, for instance, there's 15 groups, top two teams, and make it through. If a Liga MX team wins their group and plays a second-place team from MLS, they play at the stadium of that second-place team. Doesn't seem fair, but that's the way it goes when everything's in the United States. So it is slanted a bit. I would say this. For people that are hoping that uh, Major League Soccer will change things with regards to their salary cap and, and what they allow their teams to spend, because, you know, I'm, I work with LAFC and I'm seeing it, man. I've been at that training and those guys are spent. They have played 30 games. They'll play 33 games by July 15th. 33 games. There's 34 MLS games in a season. So they still have 17. I mean, they're going to play 60 games. That's crazy. Uh, those guys, I mean, they're just, that's, that is the, I mean, I, I talk to LAFC supporters and I go, the only reason they're struggling is the schedule. That's it. Could they be better in a couple positions? Yeah, but the reason they're losing to Houston at home and losing to Vancouver at home, they are shattered. So, but this is what I would say. If the League's Cup, these Mexican teams come in and beat up MLS, and then we have the League's Cup, and it's say four Liga MX teams, that might be the that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you know what I mean, Jelly Bean. 
Don Garber and MLS will look at that and say, uh-uh, we're not this. It could be, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be MLS friendly. But just say the final four, say, let's go, America takes on Philadelphia Union, and then it is Tigres facing Chivas. Not good for MLS, who, remember, have 20, 29 teams, and uh, Liga MX have 18. I know you may not care about it and what you think, but tune in the first time. Just give it a, a little taste because it's the first time. And it could, I mean, this is, a, I mean, it, the one thing that excites me is how invested Liga MX are doing. Stopping their season, playing everything in the U.S. You know, we talk about the inconvenience of a busy schedule for the U.S. These Liga MX guys are going to be away from home. I mean, one of these teams makes a final. They're going to be away from home for four weeks. And no bueno. Maybe they'll have time to go back for a little bit. I'm sure they will, but it's going to be staggered for sure. So we're, we look, we're, I'm jealous of us. We have so much going on in this part of the world with regards to soccer. So uh, MLS is it's having a good year. I hope you're tuning in. I know Apple TV discussing some breakthroughs as to uh, um, what they've been able to accomplish with certain teams. There's some good players developing. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. And uh, we'll talk about, about American players specifically in the uh, in, in the transfer market, in MLS and already in Europe. Women's World Cup, I think we'll really get into it next week with a preview. Uh, very excited about that. And Luke will touch on it a little bit. Luke Wildman, our guest, guest in the business end. So let's get to it. It's great to chat with you. Sorry we were on the, uh, we got the podcast out a little bit later, but as I said earlier, I wanted to get closer to the important games so we can have a proper USA-Canada preview, talk about the two countries, just like we had Mauricio um, from ESPN Deportes. We, we're trying to make you a smarter soccer fan. I think we're, we're getting the guests in here that can talk. I'm not going to tell you I know everything, because I don't. I know a fair bit. I know a fair bit. Make sure you get some time off. If you want to go to Colombia, write me a note somewhere, and I'll give you some suggestions. But Cartagena, if you want the beach. Bogota, if you want a different experience. Just eat. Isn't it worth traveling somewhere if you eat? It's the price, too. Uber. Uber. If you go to places like Colombia and certain parts, Uber is the best. I don't know how they're making money because you have to pay for gas in these countries still. But you can go 10 kilometers for 4 bucks or less. And it's usually a student behind the wheel who give you a little tour of the city. I will say this, being the only Spanish speaker on a trip is for the birds. Because you, yeah, I love my wife, man, but she's like, hey, can you get him to go get some more ice water? And I go, yeah, I, no, I kind of want to sit here and enjoy my wine for two minutes. Yeah. So everyone learned to speak Spanish. It's so resourceful. It helps you out. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Coming up, it is the business end. Luke Wildman joins me. who works for TSN covering uh, all things Canada. We'll be covering the World Cup in Australia here in a couple of weeks. Nice enough to do Women's World Cup, obviously. Nice enough to join us here. It also covers the U.S. men's national team for Turner and HBO. So, Luke, it's, I, I made the invite. and I, I would like to say it was by design as we've all of a sudden backed into this USA-Canada game on Sunday. I'm going to take all the credit, though, that I, <laughs> we're, you're on the show at the right time. 
Look, it's worked out quite well, for sure. I, I don't think that it was certainly the matchup that Canada would have been wanting or expecting when they came into the Gold Cup. Um, and especially after the way the Nations League went just a couple of weeks ago, because despite what John Herdman said after that game about thinking that it was, um, you know, his side played pretty well and gave a good account of themselves, it was just one-sided as it comes, really, wasn't it? And it, it's not like... It's not like Canada can take any kind of confidence out of what happens in the Nations League. And then you've got these two completely different squads, but the U.S. just has so much depth compared to Canada. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think at the weekend there should be uh, should be too many problems for the U.S. to make it through. That's for sure. Well, well, let's start there. And I, there's obviously a few topics we'd like to hit on, but I mean, I think folks in Canada, I mean, the the news coming out was all um, it's it for hitting some heights here, it was a tough couple of weeks. Obviously the nation's league loss for the U S were pretty rampant. I mean, it was, uh, it, 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 it would appear, you know, it was over at halftime. I guess that's one way you can yeah. put it. Uh, um, and then by the way, that wasn't, and that wasn't the full team either. Right. When you think about the pieces that the U S were missing that day, they were rampant with some key players, not even in, in the lineup that day. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I would say it's, it was pretty cl- – I mean, that was a pretty good – I mean, that's a pretty close to top eight. And that that's what – you know, that's one of the dis- discussions we had. And obviously you cover the U.S. team, and you'll be covering in September, October, November. Uh, we know those games against Oman and Uzbekistan, which I think people are relieved that they're not CONCACAF opponents. So you, there's some value there. But but that was a – you know, that's a, a team that – the guys that weren't there and the guys who were suspended for the final, like Weston McKinney, the, the U.S. just kept pushing th- – through saying that it's going to be tough like you don't want to miss a game because you might lose your spot I mean even Tyler Adams who seemed untouchable and probably still is you saw how well it worked with Musa a little bit uh further below and whether it was uh Luca Delatore came in for a bit or it was in different combinations of guys it 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 kind of worked and it it obviously allowed Gio Reyna to spread his wings so I mean from an American perspective it's like pick your poison and even a, a right back, I, lo- I love Joe Scally as well. I think that he's got he's got so much potential in that position as well. Obviously, brings a few different things to the role than you would get from from Des. But it's uh, it, it really was. I think under the circumstances, especially with everything that that the U.S. have been through this year and the change of interim coach to, to B.J. Callahan as well after what Anthony Hudson had done, to be able to stand like that in a final. Um, Having having gone toe to toe in in that environment against Mexico a few days before and come out on top as well is is going to do so much good for them moving forward. And, and the the interesting thing I've found being around that group of players and the last time would have been end of October uh, end of March sorry down in in Florida where I was watching training ahead of the Nations League game uh, they played against El Salvador um, was that they're all just so. They're all so relaxed around each other. It's almost as if it's just like, it, it's all, all, often cliche to talk about the brotherhood, but it just seems as if on the whole, everybody seems to get along with each other and they enjoy being around each other. And, and going away on international duty is not a chore, which for some countries and some players in the past, I mean, it's not that far removed. We talk about Canada where players would refuse national team call-ups because they just didn't want to come or you know go over from Europe to, to North America to play meaningless friendlies. But you, you're around this, this group of young, talented U.S. players, and, and they just seem as if they're having the time of their lives, That's which amazing. is, I mean, it translates onto what you see on the pitch, doesn't it? When, when you look at how they played with some of the freedom, and, and even Anthony Hudson had said, 
you know, I want to give this team a little bit more freedom, especially going forward, make, make them a little bit more fluid and, and tap into the attacking pieces um, before he left, of course. But, um, and then you add someone like Balogun. I mean, the upside here is, is huge. I, I don't know if uh, U.S. soccer fans, and obviously we, we hit, you think, rock bottom in 2017 with not qualifying for the World Cup. I hope that's as low as they ever go again. I can't see them not making a World Cup because everything results uh, dual nationals, everything that's happened is uh, is struck gold by and large. Well, I can't, I mean, 48 teams now, they shouldn't ever miss, right? They anyway. shouldn't ever miss. <laughs> they should, considering they're ranked 11th in the world, that would be quite a story. So, uh, I mean, just the proliferation of talent. And like you mentioned, Serginho Des and Joe Scali pushing him. I'm watching Brian Reynolds in the Gold Cup. I go, he's yeah. going to push both of them. So there's yeah. depth. I mean, this is a, a, it's, there's going to be new names coming through here. And I, I never would have envisioned this. We always hoped this would be the case, but it's happening a bit quicker. I'd love to get you, what you think on that, but I want to follow up on what you said about how that team is having a good time. And you weren't there for BJ Callahan, but you were for Anthony Hudson, who bridged yeah. it. And it's, it, it's just a seamless move from uh, Hudson to Callahan where they're getting results. They're hitting their targets. I mean, certainly they're favored to win the Gold Cup after winning the Nations League convincingly. But, you know, I, I always say this, and when I saw that first qualifying game, USA and El Salvador, and the firework went off, and people are going to roll their eyes because I keep bringing it up, and Gio Reyna kind of stutter shuddered because it, it caught him off guard, and they were kids. And now you see them, and it's, it's a different team, but they've, they've, what's different is that they've had this experience where they uh, have qualified for the World Cup, they played at a World Cup, and this is what every national team wants. You start this young team, and then you have this squad that, okay, we're ready. And all this talk about we want to do well in the 2026 World Cup. Well, it's working perfectly. If that was the design, it's working perfectly. I, yeah. I would like to think that Greg Verhalter gets a good amount of credit for overseeing that. I, and and I, I'm, my philosophy is whoever was in charge when something good or bad happened gets the credit or the blame. So I think that is a reflection off of Greg Verhalter. I could be wrong. Well, we'll get the chance to find out, won't we, what happens uh, moving forward. But, you know, for him to come in now at this position where it's all set up, as as you say, it's all set up for success moving towards 2026. And someone asked me the other day about whether I realistically thought that the United States could win the World Cup in 2026. And we're still a long way out to be making bold and stupid predictions. But having said that, you look at where they are now and you talk about the growth from the start of the last World Cup qualifying through to this point, and they've still got two, three more years to grow before they get to that stage. And if they're this good now and they have this much potential, how good could they be by the time it gets to 26? So did you say that they could win it in 26? Look at that. I you, you can't see it, but Luke's got this cheeky grin on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, especially with the home advantage and – it's it like I said, it's a and long will way. Be out, a, a favorable group, that, a favorable group when the draw comes out, you would imagine. Yeah, and obviously they're going to have these players, and it's not just about they won't have World Cup qualifying, but they will have Copa America experience, and they will have had the World Cup experience from Qatar. And all of these players who are playing at the highest level in Europe, and yes, some of them are coming off bad seasons this year, or or not bad, but disappointing seasons sometimes where they've been struggling, especially the Leeds guys fighting against the relegation there. Um, but they're going to be stronger in every single way. The, the next three years, and I, talking to talking to guys like um, uh, the, the Leeds players or other players who have been at the bottom of the table where they've been, they've talked about 
how they've grown dealing with that pressure. And yes, it might not be Champions League, but it's a completely different kind of pressure when you're going into to training every week, knowing that the people who work at the club, their livelihoods are on the line, by the way. If you don't win this next weekend and they get relegated, this club is getting rid of staff because they can't afford it. And you're playing with that on your shoulders. Um, that, that's and, and interesting. I think there will be... No, I'm sorry, Luke, that's interesting because those players are going through that. And now Brendan Aronson is looking for a new home, which yeah. is an inconvenience. You would wish you could go. And we got relegated. Now, you know, I, I know I'm going somewhere else. I don't want to go back. I don't want to play in the championship. Uh, yeah. Tyler Adams is not going back to the championship. Weston McKinney's going back to Italy. But, you know, that's like a don't unpack your bags at the new place. That's a, that's pretty jarring for young players. you got to get used to that. Yeah, and, and at some point, the experiences of um, – being in, in struggles can help players, I think, just as much as the experiences of playing in the Champions League or the pressure of playing in a final. And, it, and it's not just um, the fact that you are having to scrap and fight for every single thing. It's, it's also that you, you're, you're having to find ways to win when there's so much more on the line. Livelihoods are on the line. Futures are on the line. Um, and that can only help when it comes to the, the big situations of a World Cup. So I think... The fact that these these this young group of players where they are now, um, and it's a long long way round to to say that if you if you look at the experiences they've had the last two or three years for club and country, multiply those the amount of experiences and the, the growth they're going to do in the next two or three years, and the depth of people that are coming in and the depth of of extra players who come in who want to commit to the United States as well because they see what's happening, um, then yeah, I think that. I think that they will get to 2026 in a position where they could go and do a lot of damage in the tournament. And look, the, a lot of people will say, you, 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 yes, they could win the World Cup in 20. Okay, yes, they Just could. say it. They could. I'm trying to get around it without actually saying, yeah, you know, because in, in three years' time, it's this idiot when they get knocked down the group stage, this idiot said that they could. No. But, but you've, got to, you've got to see where they are now and see what the potential is. And by the way, if they don't maximize these next two years, three years, building up to 2026, then it's a missed opportunity. If somehow they stumble over the next few years and don't go in as a side that thinks that it can get past the quarterfinals into the final four of a World Cup, then I think that's a missed opportunity. It sure is. And I, I'm with you, Luke. I'm not going to say they're going to win it. And there is always that kind of, you know, pie in the sky, we're going to win it one of these. And we're like, you know, I, when? And then it, it, not making the World Cup, go, that's further and further out of view. And even after the end of the World Cup, six, seven months ago, I would have said no. But something what I've seen in these few months with the players participating, even without a coach in place, yeah, tells me, yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's they they can compete, and this is kind of a blind prediction because we haven't seen them play against Argentina or Brazil or uh, the, the top teams, Croatia, whoever they made it. And, and again, the top of the world is changing. The Germans have fallen off. Italy didn't qualify. So it looks a little different, and maybe new powers come in. But talent-wise, everyone's noticing it with the U.S. You know, these transfer rumors from Christian Pulisic to some MLS players, it's – it's vibrant with what might be happening. But I, I, I would not say it's 2026. I, I think I would put it this way, that the, the United States are, are lined up to win a World Cup, maybe the next three, four editions. But by saying yeah. that, I think by 2026, they will show why that, that 
uh, is probably going to happen. The same way, you know, Croatia's made a breakthrough, and I would say they're probably going to win a World Cup the way they're going. But this U.S. team, obviously you want to win it uh, when you're hosting it. We know how good they are at home. But I, I, I would have felt silly saying it six months ago. I don't feel silly saying it now. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and just, you know, as one example of how a player has grown, it, I had the chance to chat with Yunus Musa, who you talked about how, how well he did in the Nations League had the chance to chat with him in Florida in, in, in March. And at that point, they were still at Valencia involved in a huge relegation fight. And he was talking about how it had forced him to grow up in terms of not only on the pitch, in the way that he plays the game, and um, how he had to fight through not playing everything safe and still trying to hold true to the way he wants to play and take some risks and you know not, not be be overawed by the pressure on his shoulders. And he said at times that's difficult, but it's something even at his age, you have to learn to, to get through and move forward and, and try and make yourself a better player and stay true to what you want to be. And it's, it's those sort of experiences that as we, we head towards 2026 will be invaluable when, when these players, and then the pressure will be on them, right? Yeah. However, however well people think they can do and however much you think there's the bump of a home World Cup, which we've seen before, the expectation always also brings that that added added pressure onto players' shoulders as well. Yeah, every host. I mean, Qatar obviously it, it didn't go well, well yeah. but but Russia went well. Um, Brazil obviously was going to host it, was going to do well. But even going back to someone like a well South Africa, I don't know. This is a much better team from the United States and South Africa, Qatar. So I mean, yeah. it's not the best time to compare it. I love the, no, but, it, but someone like a Russia, right? Someone like yeah. a Russia who who got a couple of huge wins down the road, a couple of penalty shootouts. Korea, Korea and, is another example in 0-2. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we've talked. You've talked us us into saying that yeah, they'll they'll win the <laughs> going to win it World Cup in 26. <laughs> I'm going to tweet it now. Luke Wallman on the Soccer OG podcast. USA will win the 2026 World Cup. And I well, it doesn't matter because everyone's on threads now or whatever it is. Oh so my goodness! You know. By the way, I, I I gotta say, like I rolled my eyes, but I actually went on threads and I see. People getting followings already, and it's pretty. Everyone's funny. there. The platform, everyone's there. So uh, you, it, it's that's it's a good start for Threads, but we'll see uh, how it the, looks. I just I need one. I, I can't do both. Cutting and pasting is, my tweets seems contrived yeah. and it's just awful. I, I already spend too much time on on one of them. So now that there's a second thing, it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do for life yeah. because. I'm just going to be all consumed by this nonsense. They came up with a good name, Threads. That was very good. I thought Twitter was a good name. Threads is right up there as well. Uh, Before we move along, I love what you said about the adversity. You mentioned the Leeds players, but at the end of the year, all these American players I was worried about, Christian Plisic not playing, facing adversity, Yunus Musa, relegation fight, uh, one after the other was – um, some of the guys who didn't get promoted from the championship, uh, Ricardo Pepe getting relegated. Yeah. That that pays off here, though. I mean, that that goes into the bank here. And you would imagine for the adversity that you feel that you said, and I agree with you, kind of shapes these players. It's, un, it's uncomfortable what they had to go through. But that's that's just proof of concept to being a professional. No, it's, go, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And they all went through it almost. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you when you look at some of the other players who maybe play in an environment, for example, MLS, where there isn't that threat of relegation, it's something that you can't, ex- you cannot experience that here. Just that completely different way of feeling and the way where everything rests on your performance at the weekend. Like 
not just on the field, but yeah. everything. And it's like, I've been in cities when I was back in England where, you know, teams are down the wrong end of the table. I covered Leeds United for three years with the BBC there. I was there when they lost their Premier League status in the early 2000s, um, three or four years after. I mean, it's partly my fault in that I went as they were in the Champions League and I saw them all the way down to the championship, which was a huge fall from grace. Um, but it affects the whole city. And, and even from the perspective of a fan, your city is no longer of Premier League status. And that is something that hurts everybody and changes the way it, it literally changes the way people feel in the city about their own place where they live. So, so this is something that, as you say, these players are, are having an experience that would be nice for them next year to go somewhere else and actually have some success. But I think this is a side of the game that, that you know, tests character, finds people out, decides if you're going to be able to be in that, that top percentage that can deal with things like that. And uh, hopefully it's a good thing for these, these guys moving forward. Luke, when I first started covering soccer for Fox Soccer Channel, that's when Leeds was in the Champions League. I remember, I love that team. Do you think you can list them as a starting line? I mean, it was like, there's Harry Kuehl. Was Viduka there? Viduka, yeah. Uh, Harry Ian Kuehl. Hart. Ian was Hart, Harry Kuehl, two Irish fullbacks. You had uh, Alan Smith was playing there. Alan the Sniffer well. Smith, yes. Yeah, Paul <laughs> Robinson was in goal. I mean, they were real. At the, at the, actually, Right at the end of they had some they had some off-field issues at Leeds during that time. And just after I got to Leeds, they sold Rio Ferdinand to Manchester United. It was the beginning of the end. They had to they had to sell off players because they were in a huge financial hole. So I got I, I got two years of them in the Premier League before they got relegated. Um, but yeah, some I mean, when you talk about a club for and chatting with Weston McKenney about it in March, where he would say I had no idea just the size of this club. Yes. And and even in the hotel, he said, even in the hotel here in Florida or when I wherever I go in the world, someone stops me and said, you play for Leeds, I'm a Leeds fan. And it's like, there's nothing like it. There was a there was a, an incredible South African defender called Lucas Radaby who did so Lucas, much for... Yes. <laughs> right. Did so much for Leeds United. And I, I was there called the day it was his testimonial game. And there were 40,000 people packed into the stands to pay tribute to this guy. It was just, it, it's an incredible club. And it was so disappointing that it didn't work out there because I also, I also feel a lot for Jesse Marsh, having got the chance to know him a little bit all the way back in, uh, when would it be now? Montreal were in their first year in MLS. And obviously as one of the three Canadian teams who did a lot of their games, 2012 it was. And I thought he was harshly treated by Montreal, the way he'd been able to go in there. And he started to learn some of the French language. It's a very unique club. And um, with the, the lack of success they had the following years, they probably made the wrong decision. But again, it was, it was great to, to, to chat with him. And he was so open and, and um, willing to, to explain what he was doing. And we built up over the course of that year, we built up a decent relationship. So I was, uh, I was rooting for him big time at Leeds. But um, just a shame it, it didn't work out there. Yeah, talk about someone who had to deal with adversity and still does. Jesse Marsh at the top of that list. And and we, our American perspective, we're all new to the Premier League and or English football. And, you know, I was lucky when I when I stood it, I started Leeds were a powerhouse, but they go back to those Don Revy days and yeah. where we we we, were, we all watched Damned United, beautiful performance by Michael Sheen, but Leeds, this big club. And Manchester City, when they weren't even in the Premier League, where they had like Paul Dickov and Sean Goder and like yeah. American, I mean, 
it's great to learn about that history, but we have no idea how, how, how far it goes. And but we're learning. I think as collectively we're learning and we're all getting smarter and wiser. Uh, let's talk. I didn't know we we're going to talk about Leeds United so thoroughly, but that's what I love about this pod, Luke, is that it's it's all on the table. We we touched on a little bit USA Canada Sunday. I will preface this by saying Canada's probably uh, a little. I mean, they didn't want that game, but there was a moment there where it was touch and go whether they would get out of the groups. Uh, yeah. After the uh, the losing to Guadeloupe, tie with Guatemala, they had work to do. Then they thumped Cuba, and then Guatemala wins their game and wins their group uh canada gets in so i, I it's disappointing because they, they the books say it ends here in the quarterfinals they weren't really impressive in that game against cuba but is there some way and again this is the gold cup rosters the u.s have been fantastic jesus Ferreira scoring these back-to-back hat tricks uh so many players hitting their targets we have seen you know from james sands to Jalen neal uh everyone kind of uh contributing in some way uh, Georgi Mihalovic, I've loved, but this yeah. Canada team has talent. I mean, there's a drop off. There certainly is a drop off from that A team. But if they were to pull off a surprise, what would have to go their way? Oh, it's, I mean, <laughs> he said it's untenable. <laughs> no, I would, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, they they lost a couple of players who were originally on the Gold Cup roster coming in. Milan Boyan, the number one keeper, was in and then removed himself. Um, Stefan Estacchio, who is probably their leading midfielder right now, um, had such a great season in Europe, in Portugal, um, was actually decent at the World Cup as well, and, and he pulled out late. Um, so they have a young squad. They have a squad where, um, I mean, even if you look at a couple of players like Ali Ahmed from Vancouver Whitecaps, who's in his first year, Bombito from Colorado Rapids, who's been drafted. Like, you know, they, they, they're giving players these experiences and these chances maybe before, you know, I don't want to say they're not ready because, I mean, Ali Ahmed's proven to be, you He's know, been, he was right, ready, right? I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you, Luke, but I was going to say, because I watched the Cuba game and Ali Ahmed was, to me, the best, one of the two best players, constantly getting up on that left side. Bombito's yeah. raw, but I mean, I spoke to Robin Frazier. He says that may be one of the best young defenders we've ever worked with. And this is one of the best American defenders. But, but uh, they, played again, him in, they played him in midfield. In midfield. <laughs> is that just because they're okay with McGraw and... Um, well, that's another one they've uh, got. Kamar Miller. Miller with, I mean, it's they got to find a spot for him. Is that a case of that? Yeah, I mean, if if you look at if you look at the lineup from the last game, you've got... A heavily MLS lineup. You've got Dane Sinclair, Richie Larea, Jonathan Osorio not having a great season with TFC. Uh, Larea is, by the way, but in, in terms of the year that they're having, um, Bombito, um, Ahmed, Miller, McGraw, Cavallini, who left the Whitecaps to go back to Mexico last year. So, I mean, if that side's in MLS, are they challenging at the top? Hmm. Interesting way to look at it. I mean, they got Liam Miller played last game, um, who plays in Europe. Liam Fraser, who's playing the second division in Belgium. I don't uh, don't know that they have the depth at all to be able to to deal with what the U.S. is going to throw at them. Especially the U.S., as you said, that everywhere you look around the pitch, it's very difficult to say, "Oh, well, he didn't play very well," or "He had a bad game." And I know you can talk about the opposition that they've had to play against, and that that knock always comes against Jesus Ferreira, but. Man, he's taking his chance whenever he gets it. And, and when you look and you think, well, Brandon Vasquez is on the bench, knocking on the door, waiting to get in. And when, when he gets in, he takes his chance as well. I mean, the, the, the depth is frightening. And, and I think that's something that Canada 
I don't think they'll be able to compete with this weekend. Yeah, I was looking at the Canada bench, uh, and it's it's just doesn't compare. Where just the last game for Trinidad and Tobago, they brought in Cade Cowell, he scored. Brandon Vasquez came in and he scored. <laughs> this crazy. Uh, Matt yeah. Miazga started the first two games, came off the bench in the third. DeAndre Yedlin was a World Cup player. He came off the bench. And then Julian Gressel plays up in Vancouver, who's just this savant with crossing the ball. Uh, yeah. you know, a lot of good players didn't get off. Jordan Morris, Aaron Long, and, and John Tolkien, who started the tournament. It's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, I hate to and even hate someone to... like even someone like Gressel, who came in and made his debut in the game we we called on on TNT in January, um, and put in the cross for the Vasquez goal when they played Serbia at uh, BMO Stadium. Um, someone who is even at 29, I think he is now, is is new to the U.S. program, having got his citizenship and and come into the the team. Fanny Sartini in Vancouver is playing him as one of the three midfielders there, but obviously. A lot of the time in the past, he's played wide on the right. So even that, somebody who, if you bring him in off the bench, there's so much versatility as to what he can bring and you can put him on set pieces. And it's just like these players that that you can call upon. Just The, the list just keeps growing and growing. And um, yeah, that's certainly, I mean, you look at Canada and at the weekend, they brought on two players who, uh, Canadian pr- Premier League players, um, wow. you know, a um, couple of players who, are MLS players, but are still very, very, very early in their days um, in the league as well. Um, so, yeah, it's th- there's just no comparison in terms of, of that. And I, I also think that right now there's a lot of pressure on, I mean, to a certain extent, they've done it to themselves in building up the performances in, in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and banging on the drum of being going to the World Cup as the kings of CONCACAF and, we, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, talk maybe, the talk. <laughs> maybe before they actually were really the kings of CONCACAF. Um, and there's no doubt it was, I mean, it was an incredible qualifying campaign. But one of the other things that Canada has struggled with is big games. And they, they were outthought at times in the World Cup in the big games. Certainly, uh, you know, they did OK against Belgium in the first game. But then when it got to Croatia, that that incredible Croatian midfield just just tore them apart. Um, and then Morocco first half, they were they were nowhere near it either. But, but part of that problem is the fact that you know, when when John Herdman took the team last year to Bratislava and Vienna to play in September, which, by the way, was an incredible trip. If no one's been to, I would like, you have to go to Vienna. Vienna is one of the mo- most incredible places. It was, it was just like. It's the easy. Perfect you, you, place. you probably have direct flights from Toronto to Vienna. I have to stop twice from LA and it's going to take me 18 yes. hours. <laughs> no, but it would be worth it. It would be I will, worth I'd it. love to. <laughs> it's on the list. Um, it's on a growing list. Anyway, Luke. but they played, but they played Qatar, which wasn't exactly a huge game. Then they played Uruguay, but they were the, the, the first two times that John Herdman had played a proper game against a non-CONCACAF team since he played New Zealand in 2018 in his first game in charge. So up until that point, they'd only ever played CONCACAF. They, they had a friendly against an Iceland B team, but, but beyond that, it's all CONCACAF teams. And if you're not playing against the US or Mexico, then it's, it's not the challenge that you're going to get when you get to a World Cup or to a Gold Cup semi-final or final stage. So a lot of these players now, it's the second group anyway here, so it goes it goes for them anyway, but a lot of these players were going into a, a World Cup having really only experienced one game against Uruguay as, as in terms of a non-CONCACAF top team from around the world. Um, 
And that's the sort of thing that, that's another reason why I think the US heading forward to 2026 has got such a better opportunity is that they will go and get these big games. They will go and play against the big teams. These, these other players have these big experiences. And I think when it gets to Sunday as well, that's something that will, despite it not being the full teams for Canada and the U.S., that's something that is hugely in the, the, the favor of the U.S. Luke, this is a beautiful conversation because we can weave in and around, talk two main topics. Uh, Canada has been such a great development for the USA and Mexico because, look, this makes a, a CONCACAF, a Gold Cup quarterfinal that you would, ex- would not have much expectations. It turns into a big event, and that's credit to what Canada has been able to do on the field, and that's very exciting. And to your point, they can get a game against USA. It's, it, it's usually a good test, vice versa as well. Um they uh they're the talent pipeline is on is on pretty well i wanted to ask you about because look with the federation we the u.s has had it it has its flaws and the talent base has kind of grown further than there are some limitations whether the u.s soccer federation or the canadian soccer federation where it's it's we're still kind of playing small ball we can't really compete with these big european federations been doing it for a while and have tons of money in the coffer we're not there yet maybe one day but um what, what the dilemma with the Canadian Federation, I mean, how would that affect the national team's ability to, um, in the short term, um, excel to the point or, or hit their targets as much as you can? I know the games are going to be an issue. And I mean, yeah. the, the U.S. soccer federations are upset about Uzbekistan and Oman. And just for people who aren't aware, it's impossible to get some of these games against European teams because they're locked up with their own schedule. So this is kind of what you get. But how will that affect uh, what they're able to do in the, the next, say, point from now till when the uh, Copa America uh, runs comes around? Well, there's a real fear right now that Canada in the September international windows won't even have games because um, it's not just about having games for the men. It's about having games then for the women in the international windows as well in terms of the, the equality as it should be. If the men are playing, the women should be playing. You can't say we've got money for the men, but we haven't got money for the women to play games. So that all comes into it as well. Can they get the opposition? I know that they had offers of games in Europe, but they couldn't close the deal. Uh, Mexico, I think, got in there um, and, and a, a playing a couple of games against two of the teams that Canada could maybe have played against. Um, so, yeah, in a, in a very real way, um, Canada's preparation for the World Cup, although we're still a long way out, could be impacted by, by not getting the games that they would want to have. Beyond that, the worry is when you talk about the depth of the U.S. and the pipeline coming through, the worry is that um, you're not going to get those players because they don't have the money for youth camps. So they don't have as many under-20 camps as they should have or under-17 or under-15 camps. And that then means that these players who have a choice of playing for a team in Europe or a country like Canada, um, they're, they're not brought in early to the youth system They don't then build those relationships whereby, oh, I grew up playing with them. I'm going to go and stay and play with Canada rather than go and play for England or whoever else it is. Um, And you just don't have the ability to to prepare players to make those next steps. You're talking about camps before Olympic qualifying or World Cup qualifying of like no games and maybe just three days to prepare with, with no camp for another 20 team, that sort of stuff. So it's a very real crunch. Um, Canadian soccer is actually, it, it's a its a huge mess in terms of the way that the finances are going right now with, with different companies taking different money. It's, it's, it, people can Google it if they want to actually get into the weeds of it all. But Canada Soccer this week announced a, a new 
uh, not-for-profit foundation um, where they're going to try and get some money in from corporate Canada to be able to put back into grassroots and youth programs and the under 20, under 15s programs just to be able to fund those programs. So um, wow. they're making a lot of money through sponsorship. A lot of it is going to the company called Canada Soccer Business, which runs the Canadian Premier League. And that was all, you know, if you're going to host the World Cup in 2026, you have to have a league. And the Canadian Premier League, I've got season tickets for my local team, York United. I take the kids. It's a great, you know, you've seen players start to come through and move on and go to different places. It's a brilliant pathway that wasn't there before for, for Canadian players. But the Canadian Soccer Association right now, with that deal, the feeling is that they're not getting the money um, to where they need it to be. And there was even talk of bankruptcy a couple of weeks ago in, in Canada soccer, you know, just a few months out of a World Cup. Um, my former broadcast partner on TSN, Jason DeVos, an ex-Canada international defender, is now the, the, the interim general secretary of Canada soccer. They're trying to just change everything and, and just get better, uh, try and improve the financial situation. But really, it's a huge, it's a hugely depressing, disappointing situation to be in for a country that should be in their peak moment, coming off a World Cup, first time since 1986. Uh, you know, everyone was talking about that team, a women's team that won Olympic gold a couple of years ago, going into the World Cup as the Olympic gold medalists and they couldn't have a home send-off game because it just wasn't something that was able to be afforded at the time or fixed for them. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, well, not, just, it's not good. It's not good. You, just, you really bummed me out right now, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe a few little uh, uh, shoulder things. No, it's, it's pretty big. It's, I mean, well, even right the, now, the, the, right the now, development the thing. Women's, the Canadian women's team is training in Australia right now. They don't have their CBA finalized. It's something they said oh, they wanted boy. to have done before they got on the plane. It didn't get done. It's something they want to have done before the World Cup. It didn't get done. And, you know, I was there in in uh, in Orlando for the She Believes Cup, calling the, the games for, for U.S. against Canada that night when everyone was wearing the purple armbands and um, and trying to rally around this, this Canadian team that were, um, you know, you'd got players who were... Um, on hundreds of caps for their country saying hours before that game, I want to retire. I'm done with this. I just can't fight through oh, it anymore. And it's, it's just at a situation where it's, 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 it's doing too much damage to me to be able, for the, for the good that comes of it. Um, fortunately, Beth Priestman, the head coach was able to turn them around and get things going. But um, yeah, it's, it's, you, you sometimes don't think that players are bothered with all that stuff, but you know, to see the hours that, even the men's team spent ahead of a, a friendly last year against Panama in Vancouver that actually got canceled because they refused to play I remember, last yeah. June. Um, and we're six months out from a world cup and these players are standing up for what they believe in, in terms of what they think they should be getting and, and, and how the federation should be run at the expense of a, a game that could help them build up to the biggest moments of their careers. So yeah, it'll all be all right by 2026, Max. It's okay. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's all fine. I, even in the present. And uh, by the way, there's some great Canadian players, like Atiba Hutchinson. Christine Sinclair is going to maybe retire. Maybe not. Maybe she just keeps going. But you would hope that they would turn to these players to see if they can get. And Jason is a, is a great starting point. Some great Canadians that we're familiar with that maybe he'll take some leadership roles and help. And then the money 
I mean, it's it's all in, in diapers, everything with Canadian soccer. I mean, this it's just a reminder. I mean, it was we didn't see it never at a World Cup, and they've made it back. There's talent, but it's a delicate situation. Uh, Luke Wildman joining us here from TSN Sports. Turner and HBO covers everything USA and Canada. Before I let you go, because I know you're going to be in Australia, and uh, I have to think that I know, I know that not having the CBA potentially could undermine a Canadian effort. There's no doubt about it, because that is a big distraction. And it's going to be, if they can overcome that, which many teams I'm sure have in the past, it would be uh, significant. Uh, the U.S. are the favorites. I'm a, I had Sarah Walsh here a few weeks ago. We made a bet. I, I feel terrible. I, I bet the field. She took the U.S. team. The winner gets uh, dinner from the other person. Uh, is there someone that can knock the U.S. off its perch? Because if they win three World Cups, as much as I love it as an American fan, and I also want a free dinner out of this, I'll tell you that. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> that that pre, that takes paramount over my national pride. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, USA. By the way, uh, I'd, by the way, I'd rather Sarah, pay for that dinner. If you get the free dinner, Sarah will look after you really well because when <laughs> oh, yeah. she, she what a great teammate. When when we were in Nashville earlier this year, um, she lived in Nashville at a time she knew this place where they make amazing cookies. But they put your they, they put designs on the cookies. So when we checked into the hotel, um, everybody had a box of cookies with their face on it, right? She she'd got she'd gone and she'd got everyone's pictures. She'd sent them to the cookie place. She'd had these things made. So I tell you, get that get that dinner. It'll be one of the best dinners you've ever had. She will look after you big That's time. That's nightmare material, Luke. To go into your hotel and open a box and there's cookies with your face on it. Are you kidding me? What what uh, happens real quickly? I mean, because it'll start here July twentieth. Uh, the yeah. USA play July 21st. What do you think? How do you think this ends? Or what? what's something that we should, that you think will emerge from this competition? I think that they are ranked as the number one team in the world. I think that they they have a very, very good chance of repeating. The, the gap has closed. There's no doubt yes. of that. And we saw last year, you know, the Euro tournament last year was just uh, such a wonderful tournament. The standard of the games... Um, the entertainment, the excitement, seeing Wembley full. Um, you know, obviously England in the end managed to to win the Euros. They're a team that is going to be be very difficult to beat. Um, I was actually doing some some preview hits today for the Sports Centre here in Canada with Janine Becky, who's a Canadian international who is out injured. She plays for Portland Thorns and she's not going to make it to the World Cup. But I was asking her about who she thought were were the top three teams that could challenge. Obviously, she said Canada because she's a player for Canada, so she had to say them. Um, she said she said England because um, she used to play for Manchester City and they're all her friends. And the other one, she said, was Spain, who've gone through so many different challenges, oh. but you look at how they're domestic. The women's, the women's growing, game, right? in my estimation. Right. So so you've got these, these other nations. We always knew that other teams, when, when European countries or South American countries who know how to develop players start to catch up in terms of the women's game and have that club environment we knew that the gap would close but having mentioned those we didn't even mention the second and third ranked teams in the world which are germany and sweden so you've got all these other teams that could potentially cause a problem i do think though i just i wish mal swanston was fit because she had such an incredible start to the season what a, i mean what a story to, to score seven goals as early in the year as she had. And then to, to get that injury against Ireland was just heartbreaking. And now Becky Sauerbrunn as well. But it seems to be that 
whichever team around the world is going to do this, it's going to be with players missing. And we saw it a little bit with the World Cup in the men's last year in Qatar as well, the amount of superstars that were missing. But it, it really does seem to have hit the women's game. But when you think about No Swanson and then you think about, no Macario as well for the US, but here's Alyssa Thompson, here's Sophia Smith, here's Rose Lavelle. You know, it's like, I mentioned Alex Morgan. The quality, again, the depth is probably better than any other team. And that's why I think that also favorable being in New Zealand and having that opportunity to be there for the group stage, not as much travel. Um, two places where they've actually, for the group stage, they've actually been to in, in January. And that was a really, it was a masterstroke from, from Vlatko Andonovsky to, to take the team there for the friendlies to get used to what it would be like. They, they were able to go through in January. The, the match day minus one scenarios were driving from this place to this place. And here's the locker room. And this is what, so those players are going to arrive with that advantage that only New Zealand and Australia will have of, of knowing every single detail down to the very last thing of, of, of the environment they're going to be in. So they're primed for success, Max. They really are. It's, it's going to be a good tournament. I, I thought the last World Cup, once we got to the quarterfinals and the U.S. beat the host France, and it wasn't as close as the scoreline, I said, it's over. And it turned out to be that. Even though England was able to push back a bit in the semifinals, the U.S., they were never, th they were, they were never trailing a game. They always controlled every game. And that'll be different. I think the U.S. will get a scare. Maybe in that quarterfinal. Those quarterfinals are going to be amazing because the, the, the women's tournament, the quarterfinals, it still was haves and have-nots. But I think those eight teams that make it that far are going to be haves. And they're all yeah. going to be in there saying, we can win this, which I don't think has ever been said before. So, yeah. Luke, enjoy yeah. it. Uh, I, uh, I'll send you some cookies without your face if, if Canada makes the semis <laughs> to make, so you're not too homesick. But uh, it's been great. Again, I we could talk here for hours, which I don't think anyone wants to listen to other than us two. But you're an absolute delight, and we're we're so good that we have you in our in our bloodstream here in the United States as well as Canada because we're all connected, and uh, yep. we all can learn a little bit more about each other uh, through this beautiful sport. No, I really appreciate the invite, Max. Uh, it's been great to chat. Check out Luke Wallman on Twitter or Threads or wherever else, uh, <laughs> and you will be able to see him here pretty soon with the women's game. Is the send off game, which is this weekend? Uh, it's this weekend. Yeah, it has to be this weekend. Yeah, Sunday. Sunday, and then the U.S. team will be back in action September. So exciting. Falara what, what a day, by the way, Sunday. It goes straight into the Gold Cup game. So the the women's game in San Jose, I think, is 4.30 Eastern time, and then that will just finish in time for people to switch over and go watch Canada, U.S. in the Gold Cup. There's not much Luke, getting done on Sunday, Max. Luke, I'm looking at our European friends and I, I, all the podcasts. They don't know what to talk about. The, the marketplace, like, we here in North America, we don't have room. We got Gold Cup and women getting ready for the for the the World Cup and all of this. The MLS has been really fulfilled. I, I envy us, Luke. I envy us. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> no, it's never dull. It's never dull. Of course, we'd like to be maybe in Turks and Caicos on the beach a week in July, but we'll we'll do it when we're a little bit older. In the meantime, soccer all the time. Luke Wildman joining me. He is out of the business and check him out on TSN Sports Up in Canada, Turner and HBO as recent as this weekend we'll be back with stoppage time with a look at the summer marketplace stoppage time it's the silly season time for the silly season yes it's upon us it started here july the 5th uh in north america heads to what's it august 2nd around then uh so uh 
Things are going to get crazy in MLS. Things are going to get crazy. Some MLS players are going to make a move to Europe. Some really interesting stories. You know, some reputable reports about some players. I want to mention Jesus Ferreira we talked about. I don't know if it's a legit report, and I shouldn't be doing it, but it's the, the Manchester Standard News, it was, it's a reputable paper. They say that Manchester United, uh, looking for some more economical moves uh, in this crazy market, you know, and they're dealing with um, Mason Mount and all this other stuff that's happening, big money moves. You're looking for good deals. You can get that in MLS. Well, Jesus Fededa was apparently mentioned, as was Cade Cowell and Georgi Petrovic, the goalkeeper, not American, Place for the New England Revolution, who's the the biggest prospect right now in MLS, this young keeper that all the big countries, the big clubs want. But can you imagine Jesus Ferreira? Yeah, it's Manchester United, out of his depth. But as a guy you can bring in, probably as a sub for 30 minutes, he's going to have to go to Europe. But the only way it's going to draw him out is an opportunity like this. It would be proof of concept if Manchester United went for him because it would say, for all that people... The question is, can he do it in big games? Um, and I think most people agree he has to go to Europe to do it. But a lot of people feel he's not that talented, which is, I think, being dispelled and will continue. This guy, he's got some serious metal about him. So I like it. And Kate Cowell, who's been great. Kate Cowell was with the under-20s and now as well um, <clears throat> uh, now as well with the uh, this Gold Cup team. The guy's getting amazing experience, and he's a very special player in the sense of what he can do. He can just stretch defenses, uh, and looks really good doing it. <laughs> but look at all this, you know, when we talked about it with Luke, about the ad- adversity that some of these players have dealt with, but now that they're trying to push that into the next thing, and every big American star is being mentioned, it would seem. Christian Pulisic, uh, I would hope by the time you're listening to this, maybe by tomorrow morning, I'm recording this on a Thursday, maybe Friday, it's official. Milan have shown really good faith with upping their offer. Chelsea, uh, Chelsea is a big reason why the valuation of Christian Pulisic has gone down. Christian Pulisic has to take some of that blame, but Chelsea didn't play him. Chelsea played him out of position. He had to jump through so many hoops. Chelsea seeing Christian Pulisic's valuation go from 60 million to, say, 25 that's mostly on them, okay? And no one was scoring goals for Chelsea down the stretch. It was a mess. So I hope they can make it. I would prefer he goes to Lyon because you can play with Alejandro Lacazette. Maybe a better shot to make the Champions League there. I think only two French teams make it. Uh, but either way, he's going to play. Uh, look, if Milan pay, if either of these clubs pay $25 million, $25 million may not be a, a record signing for a Premier League club, but in Italy and in France, $25 million is a lot of coin. So they're paying that for Christian Pulisic. They're going to play him a uh, major role um, in that situation. Uh, it seems like it's going to be Milan. I, it, Chelsea are kind of got their hands tied. I mean, are they going to hold him hostage? I would hate that. We'd all hate it. And then I, I'll tell you this. If it gets hairy, Christian Pulisic, you know, we were talking about him coming to MLS. He's not going to come now. But maybe right before the 2026 World Cup is a possibility. If this European experience continues to be this unpleasant, <laughs> uh, hopefully he goes to Milan or Lyon and he starts to deliver and shows we know he's that good. It's just got to kind of click into place. The guy's been in Europe forever. It has to be tough. I mean, he took a he took a risk on himself and it paid off. Now he's got this valuation. But these two teams really, really want him. They keep upping their offer. Come on, Chelsea. Come on, Chelsea. 
Also, Brendan Aronson, loan to Union Berlin. Eunice Musa talks about Milan or possibly West Ham. Tyler Adams, because Declan Rice is going to eventually make his way to Arsenal. He would replace him at West Ham. Oh, my God. As a West Ham supporter to have an American on there. Hello, doctor. Not since the days of John Harkes. That would, oh, uh, who is the defender? Oh, boy, why am I drawing a blank? Jonathan. Well, there's another West Ham player, but I'm not going to sit here and waste your time. Um, I got to look at it now. But uh, all these players are in the sidelines. And we mentioned some of these MLS-based players. Um, uh, Jonathan Spector. Jonathan Spector. He had a cup of coffee there, I think, at West Ham as well. But Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney at Juventus. Tim Way is at Juventus. They're really excited. You know, this big press release that they're going to play him on that right wing. He's going to be a featured guy there. What a development for a starter on our U.S. men's national team. I don't think that's changed. Musa could join him in the Serie A and Pulisic, you know, Pulisic and, and, and Musa at Milan. And then you have Weya at Juventus. All of a sudden, that CBS Paramount sports package is looking mighty nice, no? Mighty nice. Every American fan is going to have to tune in and get the Paramount service, which I have already, which is good. I have one little issue with Paramount+. Plus. Um, it doesn't really calibrate my favorites, so every time I go on there, I have to start from scratch. It should have the soccer right on there. It's frustrating. Please fix that. Otherwise, I, I enjoy it. But the City I would be the destination league. Everyone wants the Premier League because this marketplace shows us that the gaps are so big between the Premier League and everyone else. No one could spend $30 million plus on players outside of we saw the big move uh, for Jude Bellingham at Real Madrid. And Real Madrid has been the most exciting team this summer. Uh, remember they had Endrick, young Brazilian player that they're grooming. Now they've added Arda uh, Guler, who was this Turkish phenom, left-footed player. I love how they're getting these guys young. You know, they did it with Kamavinga. They, they, they build them up and then they throw them out there They with uh, the Rodrigo Rodrigo and Vinicius, um, Real Madrid have a good way about him. Uh, Harry Kane, you know, the interest from Bayern Munich. You know, the big names in Europe, the Super League teams, if you will, are, are emerging. And I don't include the Serie A teams. The Serie A was great this year, but they're not going to break the bank. They can't. And they're, they've done such a good job of being savvy with their money. And that becomes, I mean, kind of uh, a... Uh, um, uh, what is it? Opera, 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 Mirandi becomes one of those. That's how they do their business. They're not going to upset the apple cart by going out for a $60 million player. It could be a selling league too, which was, you were going to see here with several players from Napoli and other spots as well. Uh, but, you know, some of these big English players, that's a real interesting development. And. Arsenal, the other interesting one, Kai Havertz, way overspent on him. But, you know, Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, they'll get a couple more players. They are really pushing to get Man City. Man City losing Ilkay Gundogan. Um, they are uh, replacing him with uh, Kovacic. So uh, Chelsea getting Christopher Nkunku. I love that. Uh, Liverpool getting Alexis McAllister. The Premier League is spending, and that's the way it's going to be. They just have deep, deep pockets. I think what you see with these other European leagues shows you an opportunity for MLS to creep up on them if they are willing to make big moves for some of these big talent and show that if you're an elite talent, maybe if you don't want to go to, in their prime still, maybe if you don't want to go to, if you want to go to Europe and you can't make it to England, why not make some money in MLS? That's way down the line. But uh, 
The City has been the interesting one if they can hit these American players. I don't know if they're going to hit all of them. Uh, Brennan Aronson, Union Berlin's an amazing club to be part of. They're going to be in the Champions League. We talked about Americans playing in the Champions League. Looks like we'll get a shot for a few of them. Um, obviously, um, the maybe not all for the City A guys as we see uh, how they could fall. What did I don't think Milan made. Um, they didn't make the Champions League, right? Uh, let's. I'm taking it quickly. Napoli, Lazio, Inter. Yeah, they did. Squeezed in there, baby. So uh, there is a. I'm confirming that. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for these young American players. All needed a change of scenery. All needed to deal with adversity, and are all making this this summer marketplace uh, very exciting. So enjoy it. This is the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe. Tell a friend. We'll be back early next week to recap the Gold Cup and look ahead to the Women's World Cup as well. I appreciate your time. You can reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, threads. We'll take it from there. But until we see you again, Plasito Domingo!